0: Cool, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 tonight. Um, oh man, this is good. I was just, the past few days when I was going through this, just like, wow, this is this is good. So I hope you guys get something out of it, because I uh, certainly got something. It's called uh, Be Found Faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, Be Found Faithful. Now, as you turn there, let's uh, just pray one more time and ask God to uh, bless this time with his word. And we just thank you, Lord, uh God, you're immeasurable, and uh, God, you're so great, and God, you've given us your word, and uh, we need to be diligent to know it and to uh, heed it, and we pray that, God, tonight you would speak uh, through me. Um, it's crazy that you'd even want to do that, and I pray that uh, everyone here, uh, including myself, will learn something, and more importantly, be able to just uh, hear your heart and apply uh, what you'd have for us tonight. And uh, we love you, God, as uh, as they were singing, because you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians 4. Be found faithful, and they come up with that you 'll see it 's in the script um, but corinthians it was written it was written by the apostle Paul it was written at the end of his uh, three year stay in Ephesus uh, it was a major port city um, and there was a saying in the in the day to live like a Corinthian uh, it was basically like to be like a wild partier, you know like fraternity or las Vegas um, Amsterdam it was just wild living loose living um, you know anything went in uh, Corinth. Um, and it was written by a guy named Paul. And uh, it's really cool that this guy once killed Christians, but God confronted him. Jesus confronted this murderer who thought he was doing a favor to God, and he changed him. And now Paul is, as you know, he planted all these churches. He wrote most of the New Testament. And, uh, it's, you know, just the work that God can do in someone's life. But it took a confrontation to do that. Uh, chapter 1, uh, was about the will of God for us. Um, we, I titled it His Grace, Our Unity, and His Calling. Uh, it was about gifts, divisions of denominations, uh, the purpose for e- eternity, and that God has a plan for us, and, uh, and that God has a, uh, a purpose for every one of us, and that it's a calling. Um, chapter 2 was called Be Spiritual. Um, you know, and it would talk about that whole thing about confrontation. You know, sometimes we think that God is not going to confront us on issues, uh, you know, that Jesus is all like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, but sometimes Jesus has to say hard things to us because, you know, it's, the Bible says that God uh, gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Um, you know, that we're supposed to live for heaven and not earth, live for our spirit and not the flesh, to be holy. Uh, chapter 3, uh, we talked about spiritual maturity. And that was, uh, we gave the example of my daughter being a baby and, and drinking the milk, but sometimes spitting it up and, you know, if she was still doing the same thing she's doing now at two months as she was at 20 or 30, there might, there might be a problem there. And we talked about that as a believer. You know, if we've been walking the Lord for some time, are we growing? Are we able to handle the, the meatier parts of the Bible, or are we just always taking it and spitting it up and, and there's no growth happening? We uh, talked about carnality, and uh, we also talked about being in step with uh, fellow believers, having a Paul in our life, someone who we can learn from, a Barnabas, someone who's with us in the battle. And uh, a Timothy, someone that we're pouring our lives into. So we're always going to have this dynamic going on tonight. But again, tonight uh, we're in chapter four and uh, we're going to look at what it means to be a good steward. A good steward. And we don't really use that word too often today. Maybe you think I'm talking about Stewart Airport or Stewart's down the road. They have really good ice cream. And that airport is great to fly. You go through security and you're like this and then you're on the plane. And the runway is a little scary. But um, we're going to be about being a good steward. So let's read the first five verses, and then we'll get into it. You guys got all that, right? Cool. So uh, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, moreover, it is required in its stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. So that's cool. It starts off and he says stewards. Um, The word steward in Greek, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but uh, it means the manager of a household or household affairs, you know, a lot of people, who, you know, someone who's rich, maybe he's got like a head butler or an Alfred or, um, you know, someone who watches over everything that goes on in the house, manages the other servants. Um, you know, a superintendent, uh, free your slave. So this person could either be um, free, it's like their job, or they're a slave, like they have no choice, this is what they do. Um, also could be a word for the superintendent of the city's finances. Um, I won't go there, but you can see where the modern implication is going to go with that one, but uh, the treasurer of a city, Um, but also it's metaphorically the apostles and other Christian leaders. Uh, They were called stewards, as Paul says, that uh, stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, You know, and the steward was someone who watched over everything. And if they're stewards of God's mysteries, we have to ask ourselves, um, what are these mysteries? You know, if if they're the stewards of it, maybe we're the stewards of it. And if we're going to watch over something, we better have some sort of understanding over it, even though it's a mystery. Um, But when we first become believers, we become servants of God who are to hold on to and take care of the mysteries of God. If you're a believer tonight, you're holding on to a mystery of God. And and I'd say even if you don't believe in Jesus, you haven't trusted him yet, you're still a steward of the mysteries of God because the Bible says that you're made in his image. So in some aspect, you reflect God, and and that's kind of a mystery. Um, Especially some of us, like, wow. But uh, myself included. But uh, Mark 4, 11 through 12 says, And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So Jesus is saying that there's some mysteries of God out there that, that he even tried to share with people, uh, a lot of them in the parables, where a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And even the disciples kind of scratched their heads like, what is, you know, what do these stories mean? You know, they really didn't quite get it. And uh, Jesus said to them at one point, he said, hey, if I'm telling you about earthly things and you don't understand it, how are you going to understand it if I tell you about heavenly things? You know, heaven is so much greater than we think it is sometimes. I think we have this idea that it's like gold streets and floating around and playing harps and it's uh, you know, it's a lot more majestic than that, you know uh, these people who think they can write a book and ex- describe it, they've got another thing coming, but um, what are these mysteries? And to be honest you know, I don't know I don't know completely all the mysteries of God um, and if I said I did there'd probably be something wrong with me because they're the mysteries of God, There's the things that are the Bible says are past finding out, that uh, the more we get to know God sometimes he'll give us glimpses of him And uh, sometimes, you know, we'll just have to wait. You know, like predestination versus, you know, free will. Like, how does that work? You know, Uh, did God choose you or did you choose God? Like, uh, both. But, you know, some of the stuff we just have to take on faith. Um, But a mystery can be a a great story. It's suspenseful. It's full of clues. Uh, Sometimes it surrounds some injustice, a crime. You know, maybe it's a great development or achievement or award. It's riveting and intriguing. Uh, Movies with plot twists. Uh, yet somehow all along you go. Oh, I knew that was. I knew this was it. I knew that was the bad guy. But you didn't think so. You know, you think, you know, you know what's going on in the movie. But we all tune in to see who will win the award or the sports game. You know, it's a mystery. And the mysteries of God are similar. Like, why would God love us? Um, you know, we really are just dirt that kind of goes around and drives our cars and goes to work. And you know, the mystery of God is how is that dirt living? You know, how do we? breathe every day? How do we keep going on when we're just all these chemicals? You know, science wants to think it comes about by some other means, but really, that's a mystery. I mean, we know the answer that God did it, but how he did it is really a mystery. Ephesians 5, 30-32 says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great... I'm feeding back here. Uh, This is a great... This is on. This is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's interesting. There's this whole picture of marriage that we think is commonplace. And we're trying to redefine it because we think we understand it. And we don't. It's two people becoming one flesh. Like, uh, you know, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Two people get married and then become one. You know, you start dressing like the other person. You start acting like the other person. Like... All of a sudden, I'm like, I want to turn on The Voice and watch it with Ashley. And, you know, I wouldn't do that. All of a sudden, I come home and she's talking about, like, the Second Amendment. And it's like, okay, all right, you know, this is stuff that she wouldn't have been talking about a couple years ago. Um, You know, you were becoming one, and I feel bad for her. But, (laughs) (laughs) the point is she in here? But, um, you know, it's this mystery. And even that, even this whole idea of marriage, like what it is, it's really a picture of Christ in the church. It's really a picture of God's relationship with us, where he would want to become one with us, where we would uh, be married to him, where we'd be the bride of Christ and get to know him and you know, have his mind and be covered by his, his robe. And it's like all this stuff, it's, it's a mystery. You know? It's like we, we get it, but we don't really get it. And we're not really going to get it until that final day when we see Jesus face-to-face. The Bible says we'll, we'll, be known, we'll know as we're known. Um, but marriage is a mystery. You know, certain aspects of heaven and creation are a mystery, you know, the further science digs, the more mystery they find. You know, science has never reached a point where they go, oh, I don't have any more questions, you know, let's go to the mall. Like, every, you know, they're always digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and they still have more and more mystery, and God keeps going, I got more, you know, I got more for you, but we'll know one day. But verse 2 is kind of like this, you know, you could read it and you can kind of miss it, but it's, it's pretty sharp. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You know, the one requirement of a steward is that they are found faithful. Um, Faithfulness, it's required. It's the main job description. What are your job requirements? You know, if you have a job or maybe you're retired, you know, uh, what's the requirement of being retired? Golf, trips, I don't know. Um, Maybe it's uh, being to work at a certain time. Or maybe it's uh, doing a certain number of reports or reaching a certain sales goal or a certain dress requirement or... You know, whatever these requirements are, they were laid out before you when you took the job. They said, hey, we have this job opening. This is what it is. These are the requirements. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's a skill. You know, can you meet them? Maybe you said yes, and you couldn't. Maybe you said no, and you could. But, you know, you have this job. And and what happens if you meet those requirements? Hopefully, you know, eventually you'll get a raise, or, you know, you'll get more responsibility at work. Um, And if you don't meet those requirements, you know, some of us know you can be fired if you're not doing a good job. Um... You know, so as believers, if we're stewards, we need to remember that, that it's required. If we're a believer, we're automatically a steward of of God's mysteries. And even if you're not, you need to take that into consideration. Like, hey, even if I don't believe the Bible, the Bible says this. What if it's true? What if it's true? You know, we need to take care of God's kingdom. And that's not like Disneyland, where, you know, you kind of go around and put on a suit, and that's the kingdom, and then you leave Disneyland, and you're not Disney anymore. Uh, It's everywhere. It's I think in three parts we can, we can look at this. You have to be stewards of, one, your salvation. And I'm not saying that, that you have to earn your salvation or that you have to do stuff to, to keep your salvation or that it's this constant like, oh no, God's going to fire me, I'm not going to go to heaven. I, I don't mean that. What I mean is we need to be stewards of our time with him, of prayer, of reading the Bible, of fellowship with other believers, of, of worship, of telling others about Jesus. Because all these things are part of God's economy. And if we're saved by him, we should be involved in these things. Um, we should be involved in these things. Uh, the next part would be our witness. How do we treat others? How do others view us? Uh, we can't and shouldn't please everyone. I'm not saying that we need to walk around and make sure that everyone likes us. That's certainly not going to happen. Jesus said it wasn't going to happen. Hey, they killed Jesus. If that was the case, you know, they, he wouldn't have been killed. Um, and three, our service let me go back let me say one more thing our job our personal lives do they match up does our personal life match up with what the scripture says with what we claim to believe it's one thing to like say you don't believe anything and do whatever you want your life matches up but if you claim to believe a certain thing you know your life is gonna life should match up to it Um, and our service Um, do we know what God would have us to do the first part of stewardship I guess in this aspect is just knowing what would God have me do Uh, and then do we do it do we do it do we do it faithfully or do we do it well and i'd say that all these things are part of our calling are part of what god has for us um our calling is not just like a phone call hey i'm gonna be a missionary It's, it's your entire life it's 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 god's calling you that upward call of god in christ jesus our lord into heaven um you know there's the story of the two uh two servants and the first one uh the master says hey can you go do this And he goes, yeah, sure. And then he doesn't do it. And then uh, the second guy goes, no way. I'm not going to do that. You know, the game is on. And then he's sitting there. He puts the game on. I'm embellishing. And he goes, oh, man, he just can't get into the game. And he's going, oh, man, my master asked me to do this. I really need to go do this. And he goes and does it. And Jesus said, which one do you think was the one who was obedient? And they go, the second one. Yeah, just because the first guy said he would do it and had the right answer, he didn't live up to it. The second guy realized that he was doing something wrong and went and did the right thing, and, and that was obedience. And that's what obedience is. But um, I think a big problem in the church, I'm not necessarily saying our church or a specific church, but the church in general, and maybe our lives in general, is not serving God well. Not serving him well. Like, maybe we are serving him. Maybe we are spending time with him. Maybe we are telling other people about him, but maybe we're not doing it well. Um, and, like, there's a verse that says later, I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm not saying this, like, uh, I do it well. But it's more, like, just to kind of urge us and to warn us. Kinda, we, need, we should be aware of this. Um, in Exodus, when they were building the tabernacle, God called all the skillful people to do the skillful work. You know, uh, he said, get the artisans. Get the guys who know how to, like, carve stuff. Get the guys who know how to make really nice tapestries to make stuff for this. He didn't say, you know, go find a piece of cardboard, right? God in here and slap it up. You know, all these artisans, they did what they could do well and brought it to the Lord. Um, you know, building this church. You know, imagine if a plumber did the electrical work. You might have to flush the toilet to turn the lights on. <laughs> I don't know. May, it might, you might have to do that. I don't know. Do you, Ed? I don't know. <laughs> um, and now hear me out. I'm not saying that you have to be an expert to serve God. I'm not saying that you need to go to vocational school and say, God can't use me until I know exactly what I'm doing in every physical aspect. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is that if you have a skill, in some way, you should use that for the Lord. It might not be your calling. It might just be something you have to do one weekend. It might be something you have to do for 10 years. But at some point, this skill should be brought to the Lord. Um, You know, because sometimes we think that, or even on the flip side of that, sometimes we'll have a skill and we'll go, oh, I have this skill, but I don't have that skill, so I'm not going to do that, or it's beneath me. Um, And I think sometimes, you know, we need to do it. Like, maybe there's not an electrician in the church. And there's several here, and I think they're all pretty good. No one's got electrocuted yet. But if there was no electrician, and we needed to do something electrical, and we couldn't necessarily afford to hire an electrician, someone would have to go on the Internet or go on YouTube and look up how to wire this thing and put it together and hope it doesn't kill anybody. And that would be serving God outside of their skill. Um, But I say that maybe that happens more often that's not because the person who does have the skill is not being a good steward of it. Because the person who has that skill is going, uh, it's beneath me. Yeah. To go on a church on a Saturday and do that? Like, really? I have to do something else? You know, like, and and God doesn't want the person that way with that heart to begin with. You know, he says, uh, if you're going to give, give it a cheerful heart. So I'm not trying to, like, guilt people into coming here and doing electrical work. Why do I keep saying electrical work? Do we need electrical work or something? I don't know. Lord, please. <laughs> we for the lights to fall. But, You know, nothing is beneath you. Scrubbing toilets, serving children, picking up trash. You know, if you see, like, we had a pastor's meeting, and it was like, hey, if you guys see trash, go pick it up. You know, it's not beneath you to go around and and pick up uh, something dirty in the bathroom. I mean, sometimes I think we go, oh, someone else to do it. Or maybe it's not even like we really realize we're like, oh, I'm not going to do it. But, oh, there's a cleaning crew. I don't really need to do that. Or, oh, there's plenty of children's ministry volunteers. They don't need any help back there. You know, they need help back there. You know, As as busy as looks like, sometimes it looks like everything is being taken care of, but sometimes everything is being taken care of by two guys. They say like 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And, you know, I'm I'm not trying to put out a call for, you know, oh, help us out, Calvary, we do too much. Um, But really, like, maybe um, God's asking you to do something, and you just felt like maybe you haven't felt worthy. Maybe the other side of it is you feel like, oh, God can't use me. And he can. He can. I mean, he's got me up here. You know, I used to be a drug addict and all these other things, and somehow God's got me up here sharing with you all, and and I feel bad for you, but God says, hey, do it. So it's fun when I do it. (laughs) You know, I hope we get something out of it. Um, And I think a lot of times it's the ministries of the least earthly glory have the greatest heavenly glory. You know, a lot of times we sit here and we go, oh, I want to be up here sharing, or I want to be out there, you know, in the limelight. And these things are good, you know, like, I'm glad that they were up here playing that. That people who knew how to play instruments were playing, because we'd all be like, "Oh boy," you know. If they didn't know how, I'm sure you're going, "Oh boy," when I'm sharing this message. But I'm glad for people that know what they're doing. But it doesn't mean that um, we need to be in the limelight. Um, I'm sure there's people who have never had the limelight. We're going to get to heaven, and they're going to be like front and center. We're going to go, "Who are they?" And God's going to go, "Oh, they were the one who were picking up the dirty diapers uh, back in." For your child, while you sat there and had four extra cups of coffee because you didn't want to go pick up your kid, which is okay. Maybe you needed that that day. I, you know, I, I only have a two month old, so I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I'm sure there will be a day. But there's these people that we look on, like you may look at me, or you may look at another pastor, or like a um, someone on television, and go, "Oh man, like you know, their rewards can be great in heaven." Probably not. I mean, the Bible says that someone who shares and teaches the word with you has a stricter judgment. So it's like, when I get up there, God's going to go, hey, remember the time you taught about First Corinthians 4 about stewardship? It really wasn't about that at all. And I'm we'll oh, man. You know, it's like if you spent another hour in study, maybe you would have gotten the real heart of it. I go, oh, yeah, you're right, Lord. You know, I'm sorry. And he goes, okay, it's okay. Here you go. And he gives me, like, some crackers and juice, and then that's good for the rest of heaven. And you guys go in there who are serving faithfully, bodybuilders or somewhere else, and you get this huge dump truck of rewards. You know, heaven's economy is not like ours, uh, thankfully, because ours is going broke. Also, I think, you know, far too often we come to serve God and we go, oh, I don't have to do it that well. No one's looking. Or it's just church. Everything's easy going there. like, oh, it's Calvary. Oh, it's grace, you know. No one's going to get mad at me if I don't do this 100%. And that's true. You know, we may be like, oh, you know, I wish it was a little better, but no one's really going to, like, rag on you for not doing it. You know, that's, that's the Lord's job. But I think a lot of times, especially in America, we give God our leftovers, and I'm speaking to myself here too, instead of giving God our first fruits. You know the Bible talks about um, Cain and Abel, and their different sacrifices, and God accepted Abel's, but He didn't accept Cain's. And uh, in the New Testament, there's Ananias and Sapphira where they look like they're bringing something, but Peter says you lied to God. You know they were they were bringing this huge gift that the church thought they were bringing, but they really they held something back. And then there's also the the idea of the tithe where um, God says, "Hey, bring your first fruits. You know, bring the tithe in." Make sure you pay the first 10% or the first 20% and, you know, I'll bless you. He doesn't say, hey, whatever's left over, bring in because God doesn't want leftovers. You know, he gave us the first fruits, so we should give him the first fruits. And I'm not here saying you need to give 10%. Um, I'm not saying you need to give anything. You know, give as the Lord leads, but, you know, I would just seek the Lord on that one because Matthew 23, 23 says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you pay tie the mint and, and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And I think the other part of it is sometimes we're we're so caught up in doing things for God that we forget the weightier matters. We go, oh, you know, I did this this, making sure that all these things, all my ducks are in a row, like, in my ministry. But then we forget the people. And we're not loving and we're not caring and we're not praying for each other and we're not reaching out to each other because we're too worried about, You know, that are, are, uh, I don't know, that everything's organized correctly. I don't know where to go with that other than we're forgetting the important things. You know, God wants us to do those little things and be organized and and take care of the physical, but He also cares about the spiritual. Um, And they both go hand in hand. And also, as a steward, you need to be faithful, we need to be faithful in the little things. Um, You know, what makes a good steward is not necessarily the one with the most skill or experience but the one with the servant's heart, who's willing to learn, serve, and do whatever it takes. Um, I've overseen the booth for a little while now, and uh, people have come and gone, and some of them, I'm glad they came and went. Not, not really, but like you know, there's others that I'm like, man, like, it hurts when they leave because they were so faithful, and maybe God called them somewhere else. Um, but you know, I'd rather have two people back there who have no clue what they're doing, but are willing to do it, and are willing to serve, and are not complaining, and are doing it heartily unto the Lord, than 50 people who know exactly what they're doing and know more about computers than I do uh, because they won't be there or they won't, you know, they'll give it their half effort. Um, You know, there's this old joke around Calvary, especially when we didn't have a building when we were always moving chairs. It was, you have a servant's heart, go stack some chairs. So it's like, if you're new here tonight, and this was a couple years ago before we had a building, you'd probably at some point be moving chairs if you stuck around after service. Um, That's how you got involved. Um, but how much more important when it comes to the caring for God's people? You know, because being in ministry um, is really about people. It's not about whether the chairs are clean or the lights work or, you know, the bathroom's clean or, man, that coffee was atrocious or so that coffee was excellent. You know, it's really about people. Um, I was talking with uh, a dear friend the other day, and I was like, look, like, you know, I'd rather have this thing that, you know, this thing that we're involved with not work out and you be okay spiritually and healthy than for this thing to work out. Because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about people. And myself included. Sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in the task at hand and forget, God, you know, at the end of the day, you know, whatever, you know, the chairs aren't going to be in heaven. People are going to be in heaven. And uh, there's a verse, uh, i read two verses to you. Um, John 10, 12 through 13 says, uh, Jesus says, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. In Luke nine sixty two, like I wrote a lot of verses, but Jesus said to him, "No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God." You know that's the that's the test between a true steward, a true servant, a true shepherd, is when trouble comes, do they stick around, or do they flee? You know, are they there for themselves? Are they there for others? Uh, Because when you're there for others, like, I've slipped through the channels last night. We have, like, the most random channels on the planet. And, like, this old episode of Seinfeld comes on. Forgive me if this is, like, crass. But George is, like, uh, I guess the beginning of the episode, uh, he's at a party and there's a fire. And it's just, like, a smoke in the oven. And he pushes everyone out of the way. Like, there's a fire! And he pushes old people over and kids over. And then, uh, I guess, the, the girl he was interested in got all mad at him. So he goes to, like, this comedy club that Jerry's at. I'm really sorry for sharing this whole thing, but... At the end, he says, uh, there's this prop comic, like, joking around, holding up a gun, like, hey, I'm going to rob you. And George goes, he's got a gun. And he, like, pushes everyone out of the way and gets out. And then they're like, George, George, it's the prop comic. And he goes, hey. And he goes, oh. Uh, And it's like, that's the difference between a hireling and a shepherd. A hireling is going to see danger because they're only there to get what they want. And they're going to get out of there at whatever cost it, it takes, even if they have to push you in front of the guy. Um, while the shepherd doesn't say, uh-uh, I'm getting in between you and this situation because I care about your health and this person, I care about their health too, but I'm going to beat them up first. Um, you know, but I'm not saying that God needs you to do things well or perfect for his kingdom to continue. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you've got to be here exactly at a certain time every day and it's got to be done 110% and you got to get no sleep. Maybe, maybe we do, but I'm not saying that, that, that God needs perfection because we're not perfect. You know, uh, I think it was a lyric in the first song that they were singing, like, I forget exactly what it was, but it's just about, like, I'm not perfect, and I keep bringing you my imperfect. You know, I'm screwing it up, so I'm really quiet. But, but you know, sometimes we, you know, we think we got to be perfect for God, and that's not the case either. We just have to be honest with God. Um, but verse 5 says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time. So he's talking about, let's let's get back, because there's another verse in there that's good. Um, Verse three says, but with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. He's saying like, you know, I don't really care what you think in a way because God's the only one who can judge me. And I don't even know that like, this is Paul, not me, because I could like write a whole list and I won't of just what I've done wrong today, that Paul says, I know of nothing that I've done wrong. He goes, I got no evidence against my case today. I've brought it all to the Lord. I've dealt with it all. I've, you know, I've got a clear conscience towards God and men. And he says, but even that doesn't justify me. It's even Paul saying, even though I don't know of anything, I'm sure there's still something. And even if there was nothing, God still has the final call in my life because God knows what I was like before him, and he could still deal with me for that stuff before I was forgiven. He says, that, that's why we need to, therefore, judge nothing before the time. And that doesn't mean figure out what's right and wrong. That doesn't mean don't discern and just be greasy and everything's good and what you believe is good and what I believe is good and we're all going to go to heaven, brother. No, that's not what he's saying. Or, or it's not, he's not saying don't call anyone out when you need to call someone out. Um, you know, obviously in love. But what he's saying is that you can't know the final judgment on anything. You know, we don't know our own heart. We're certainly not going to know each other's heart. So if I see you doing well, that doesn't mean that God sees you doing well. You might be doing it for someone's praise. Or if I see you doing bad, I'm like, why aren't they serving in the children's ministry? They should be serving in the children's ministry. You know, They're not walking right. How do I know? How do I know God hasn't called them not to do that and just to sit down and relax for a few months? I don't know that, so I can't judge that. And, and we can't judge each other in, the, in that aspect um, because the only one who does that is God. And he's going to do that on that, di- on that day, on that time. And that day and time is when Jesus comes back. When we stand before him, and uh, we'll get to it later, but he goes, Well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. So there's, there's this there's this difference there. That that day is the day that we need to live for. Not uh not today or tomorrow or um, if we're gonna win the popularity contest. You know, got only God knows the heart. You know, there's that saying, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Jeremiah seventeen, nine and ten. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things, and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God's saying, You don't know your heart, only I know it, so seek me. That way when it does come time for you to be rewarded for what you're doing, you're not getting rewarded with punishment. You're getting rewarded with, with my presence. That's a pun. So, if it's Christ who makes the final call on everything, where do we and where should we seek praise? Should it be from man or should it be from God? Um, You know, where does the steward seek praise? It's probably not the other servants. I mean, maybe he's like, hey, you see that? The master just gave me a raise. Or, you know, I got the weekend off. Maybe, you know, there's a a little competition between the stewards. Uh, I'm not saying it's healthy, but maybe there's a little competition in that way. But really, it's the master. It's the boss. It's the one who writes the check. It's the one who makes sure that he doesn't beat his bad steward. Um, you know, that's, that's what it really comes down to. Um, look up the parable of the talents later. There's a, there's a couple different versions of it, I believe. But uh, let's go on. Let's read 6 through 8. Verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. They you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed off on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did uh, indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Like, why do you boast as if you you made it yourself? Uh, You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you really did reign, that we also might reign with you. The first part, it says, uh, that was a little sharp, actually. Thanks, Paul. Uh, not to think beyond what is written. Not to think beyond what is written. Another part of stewardship we have to have, or we should be seeking, is stewardship of God's word. Stewardship of God's word. What I mean by that is, when we read the Bible, or we hear a verse, or we hear someone, like tonight, share the verses with you, um, we should know the context. You know, what does this verse say, and what do the verses around it say? What does the chapter say? Um, you know, because it's really easy to take a verse out of context and go, oh, yeah, you know, God says that if, you know, I jump off this thing, angels are going to pick me up and I'm not going to stumble. So I'm going to go base jumping without a parachute because God will pick me up. You know, that's a little out of context, and uh, you'll be in context or something. I'm sure there's a joke there, but I don't know it. But <laughs> what, and then also what, when, who, where, and why to bring back grade school for you. You know, what is being said when is it being said, who is it being said, by and to and through, where is it being said, and why is it being said. And I thought I said the same word twice, but it. didn't. And then it's also to look at original language. Like we looked up that word steward to make sure that it wasn't stewards or Stewart airport or anything else like that. And so we got a little clearer picture because the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek and uh, Aramaic and Hebrew. Um, so what did, what did the original writer mean? Um, you can do that. You can get a big big old book called Strong's, Strongest Strong's, and it's like a phone book. You're like trying to flip through it, and the pages are all thin. But thankfully now they have this thing called the Internet, and on the Internet is this thing called a website, and it's called blueletterbible.com, and it makes like it's like cheating when you're Bible studying because you just click on the word, and it tells you the definition, and you can hear it pronounced and all this stuff. Um, so it's real easy to do that nowadays. You don't have to spend an hour just looking it up. Um, but he also says uh, not to think beyond what is written, but don't extrapolate it too far. Don't take a verse and run with it beyond what it's actually saying. I mean, God might have like a personal application for it for you, like a rhema word where it's like this verse speaks directly to my life and that's what it means. Like, um, you know, Pastor Owen shared share with you when uh, he was, felt like God was calling him up here. It was in the Bible, I think it's Exodus or something, that says that it's the land of Goshen. So for Owen, it meant come back up here. You know, for others, it might mean actually go to old Egypt, you know. It might not mean the same thing for you. I mean, it means something in Scripture, but then it has a personal <laughs> application. But don't extrapolate it too far. You know, don't, like, sit there. And, I mean, it's good to sit and meditate on the Word. And that doesn't mean to, like, put on the candles and, you know, make funny noises and think about your belly button with Scriptures and music on it. What it means is to think on it over and over, to, like, repeat the verse. Um, there's this great website called The theversesproject.com. And uh, every week they come out with a new verse. And, like, musicians will make songs out of verses. And uh, it's a little folky. It sounds kind of like Jay and Drew, but it's awesome. Like some of them are just too far out there for me, and some of them are really good. And you listen to the song, and it's just the verse over and over. They'll break it up, make a chorus, make some verses. And it's just, you know, it's a good supplement to just thinking about the verses. Um, But also, let Scripture define Scripture. Um, When you're studying the Bible, like we're kind of, we'll read through an area, and then like a verse will come to heart or mind, and then we'll look at it and see, kind of use the scripture to compare this other part of scripture. And what does scripture say about scripture? Because that's really the final authority. You know, God's the final authority. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. So, if you have a question about an area of scripture, see if there's another area that, that talks about it. And then there's something else that I've kind of picked up along the way, because uh, I never went to Bible college, but it's Pastor Tony will probably correct me later, but it's called the Law of First Mention. And that usually means when the Bible talks about something, or uses a, a, a symbol, or a typology, or any other big word, Um, when it's mentioned first is usually the context that it's going to be in the rest of the Bible. Um, You know, So you can look up marriage or you can look up other things and it'll define it throughout um, Scripture. But also, what do godly people and teachers think, say, and do? I'm not saying to like wholly be built on what other people say, but sometimes when you're going through Scripture, you know, there's commentaries on Blue Letter Bible or maybe you'll ask a pastor or a friend, you know, what do you think about this verse? Uh, There's that show on the the bridge uh, pastor's perspective where people ask questions and they get a good perspective from uh, different pastors about what they they feel the Lord is saying in the scripture and it's it's good to hear that too um, and especially friends too friends that we know are walking with the Lord if if sometimes we'll get in a scripture and maybe we'll get a little twisted our friends sometimes will be the first one to kind of pick that out or if you're married your spouse uh, if they're walking with the Lord but um, the next few verses really show the effects of not doing this stuff. Um, they boast of accomplishments and degrees. They're like, "Oh, I have so many degrees, and I went to such and such Bible college," and you know, blah blah blah. But then their life doesn't match up. You know, they don't care about people, or they're living in sin, or they clearly don't know what the Bible says, even though they say they went to Bible college. They think that things are permissible that the Bible says clearly aren't. Um, you know they they boast of the they bo- he says that you boast as if you had not received it like you made it yourself and it's like Ash and I were kind of talking about spiritual gifts the other night and it's like you know if you're gifted physically with a talent you can you know maybe like Jay and Drew are just naturally good at playing instruments I'm not maybe I could maybe learn to play an instrument but it would never be half as good as what they do because they're naturally talented sure I could go online and figure out what all those chords are and maybe play something but it would be like it would be a struggle but to them I'm sure it comes naturally and it's better and that's a physical talent Um, and people could even boast in building up their physical talents because you know they have a talent and then they worked at it so hard and and they've gotten better Um, but when it comes to spiritual things um, like earlier you know it was talking about how we only get an understanding of the Bible from God and from his spirit like I remember reading the Bible before I got saved and just trying to make sense of it all and it didn't make any sense but I knew that there was truth in there, so I kept reading it. I was reading Revelation because what was going on in the world ten years ago, and it's even worse now. Um, but I was going through it and going through it, and by God's grace and mercy, He got me saved. You know, He saved me through it. Um, but you know, when I got saved, it started to make sense. You know, could I maybe give a Bible study? No. Could I even really give a, a halfway decent study now? Probably not. I, I'm glad that you guys are still here. Um, but the point is, is that the fact that I'm even up here sharing anything with you is not because I'm some, like, really talented studier. I didn't go to... (laughs) That doesn't even make sense, right? I didn't go go to college for this. You know, I didn't go to Bible school. Um, You know, I didn't even understand the Word of God before I knew God. The only reason I have any sort of inkling is that God reveals it to me. And I'm not saying that to be like, God reveals it to me, you know. Come listen to me. I'm saying that the only reason why anything makes sense tonight is hopefully because God is doing something. It's because it's a gift. It's like, it's just a gift. Um, and that can go with anything. Evangelism, healing. You know, you can't conjure up healing. Uh, in Acts, there's uh, Simon the Sorcerer. And he's like, hey, you know, this, this Jesus thing is cool. And I see you guys walk around healing people. In my magic show, you know, not so many people come to it anymore. So how do I get this? How, how much can I pay you to get this gift? And they go, get away. Like, you don't even understand how God works. You know, you can't buy a gift of the Spirit. You can't go and, you know, like, if you don't have the gift of worship, go to a a worship school and give them 20 bucks, and then all of a sudden you're a worship leader. You know, you may be able to get up and play a guitar, but will anyone really be led into uh, the presence of God? Not without the gift. You know, if, if I speak all night and God's not in it, you won't get anything lasting out of it. Maybe it'll be funny. Maybe it'll be entertaining. Maybe it'll sound scriptural. But if God's not in it, and His the gift from the Holy Spirit is not teaching me and teaching you, there's not going to be anything in it. But another part of this is that they keep wanting more. Uh, you know, Acts talks about false teachers who rise up, trying to get people to follow them. Like a false teacher always wants more followers. Now, a true teacher wants more people in church because he wants more people to hear about the Word of God. But a true teacher uh, is not going to be concerned. At the end of the day, you know, I mean, it might bother him whether it's one person or 50 people. He might get discouraged if it's 50 people one day and one person next week. But a false teacher is going to want bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're not satisfied unless it's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're worried about the numbers as opposed to they're worried about the actual growth. Um, You know, and they're going to say, false, here we go, false doctrine insists on the man and not the maker. You know, they'll say, for only 1995, I'll ship you this thing in the mail and your spiritual life will grow. You know, maybe, maybe God can use that. But the end of the day is they just want you to follow them. They just want you to follow their brand of whatever. Um, Romans twelve three says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You know, we're not to think more highly than, you know, than we should. Uh, and that goes back into stewardship. I'm too good to do this, or that's beneath me, or wow, it really should be. Wow, God save me! I'll go do that. I'll go do that. Uh, let's. How long has it been? Let's go. We can go. Longer. Uh, read nine through thirteen. Uh, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off of all things until now. You know, a lot of times our perception of success in anything, is really outward. It's, oh, they're rich, or, oh, they have a lot of followers, or, oh, that church is a mega church. They must be doing something right. Not necessarily. Uh, Paul talks about, in 2 Corinthians 11, 20-30, encourage you to read later, but he talks about trials, nakedness, shipwrecks, beatings. That doesn't sound like a successful ministry, or a successful five-point message, or, you know, anything like that that you see on TV. You know, he's too poor to be on TV. But, uh, Matthew 8.20 says, And Jesus said, And the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. If we judge Jesus', as a su- Jesus as a success on his clothing, or on where he lived, or what he drove, you know, no one would ever listen to Jesus. We, we base the success on that God rose him from the dead. That he's alive, but there's no tomb somewhere for him. You know, that he died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross, you know. That doesn't sound successful. The disciples certainly didn't think it was right away. But true faith is displayed in hard circumstances and blesses those who curse you. You know, he's saying that the guys are beating them, they're busting them. Their prison, their prison guards were getting saved. You know, possessions and the appearance of success can cause the opposite. You know, how often we have something nice, we end up letting it go to our heads and then we look down on other people. Or, you know, someone in Mercedes might look at, down on you when you have a beater. Or you might think, even in the reverse, in, in some mindsets, oh, I drive a beater, so I'm better than that person in a Mercedes. Um, you know, look at them, they're dependent on that. Look at you, you're dependent on making fun of them. You know, it's like all these different things. Um, but he says that he labors with his own hands. And how often do people think that when you get into ministry that you don't have to work anymore? Or that, you know, you need to, as soon as you're in ministry, I need to take all the all the money from the church, you guys need to give a love gift, that way, you know, all the pastors here can get paid and get the nice stuff. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. He says that he labored with his own hands. He says in another part of scripture that he toiled night and day. That Paul worked all day and then taught all night. And then worked all day and taught all night. And he was still poor. He was still poor. And the reason why he wanted to do that is because he was a steward of his own provision. A steward of his own provision. And now, I'm not saying don't depend on God over work or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, as believers, we need to work. As believers, we need to be wise with our finances. We need to be wise with what God has given us. Um, we shouldn't be dependent on others. Now, there's in all our lives, there's going to be a time when we, when we need help um, from the Lord, and that's why there's a church, because we're supposed to help each other, because we need it. Um, what I'm saying is, we shouldn't be leeches. We shouldn't be always needing something from someone else. At some point, there should be this change from baby to adult where we can now help others. Um, and Paul said he didn't want to to burden the church, Paul's last thing was like, "Look, like I don't want you guys' money because I don't want you guys to be burdened by my ministry." Um, you know, and he rebuked the Thessalonians because they stopped working because the second coming was an excuse. They're like, "Oh, Jesus is coming back, sweet, I'm quitting and I'm gonna go sit out on the hill and do nothing all day." You know, and Paul goes, "Get back to work, get back to work." You know, and that's frustrating. You know, because we want to go outside and do nothing all day. Oh, no, God will provide. God will provide. Yeah, he will. The Bible also says that if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, it's just the natural law of things. That's how God provides sometimes. But, you know, being around this church for a while, I've, you know, overheard conversations, like, not like I was eavesdropping, but I was in a room when a conversation was going on, and I was kind of, you know, they knew I was there, and I was in it, but just listening. And they're talking about sometimes when uh, the church didn't have money for something, um, you know, we'd have money to pay the bills, but there wouldn't be enough money to pay one of the pastors. And so the pastors would be the last ones to get paid. And I don't know how this all works now, but it was like, you know, these guys are working in the world so that they can support their families and they can do this. And, you know, it's not like they're going to go, okay, pay me and then I'm not going to pay my electric bill. They're like, all right, God provided for the electric bill to get paid. How is it going to provide for me to feed my family? And I think far too often in ministry, we think that it's the other way around, that we need to have the, the pastors should be, I mean, the pastor needs to be paid and have a double honor and all these things that the Bible talks about, but it shouldn't be this like extravagant thing that's like leeching off the people, that all the people are giving on their credit card so that the pastor can drive a Mercedes or that, you know, that the church can have all this fancy stuff that that maybe it doesn't need. You know, that's what I love about Calvary Chapel. You know, there's this whole idea of where God guides, God provides. So when Calvary Chapel tends to do something, we go, okay, God's called us to do it. Let's stop out and do it and see what he provides. And if he doesn't provide it, I guess we didn't need it. And... Sometimes we think that when we do that and then what we expected God to provide doesn't come through, that somehow it was wrong or God didn't provide. And that's clearly not what the Bible says. Paul says, we were hungry. I mean, this guy wrote the New Testament and he said he was hungry. He was not go, God, you didn't provide for me. I'm hungry. I'm writing here the New Testament. You can't even get me like a cup of noodle. You know, he was hungry for God. And how often do we think that like when we're not having our physical needs met that somehow God's not meeting our need. He's doing something else. He's doing something else. And I'm scared to say that because a lot of times stuff that goes through this pulpit happens in the person's life behind it. And it's like, all right, Lord, like, if you don't want me to have that, it's either I'm doing something wrong and squandering what I've been given or God just says, I've got something different for you to go through right now. And that's hard. You, know, that, you won't hear that on TV, I don't think. Unless like, someone good is up there. But serving God will cost you something and it could be Uncomfortable. You know, because being a steward of God is really about hanging on to the things that God gives you spiritually. And that's people, and that's opportunities, and that's other things. That's not, you know, a cable TV, or three cars, or a large house, or even food sometimes. Let's read uh, You guys want to finish real quick? No answer means yes. All right, so... <laughs> We'll go go through. We'll read uh, 14 through 17. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For uh, though you might have 10,000 instructors of Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me, Paul says. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. You know, the heart of this message is a warning, like we talked about before, and it's not a shame. I'm, the message in the scripture is not to shame you, it's not to shame me, it's a warning. I'm not up here to say, you guys aren't being good stewards, you know, get to work, you know. It's, hey, you know, what is God asking you to do, and are you being faithful with it? I don't know what he's asked you to do, you know. If a pastor or a leader of the church asked you to do something, that might be God asking you to do that. It might be. Um, it probably is, but we'll see. Uh, but heeding a warning, and I've I've been on both sides of this. Uh, heeding a warning avoids shame. There's been times when Scripture has warned me, and I've gone, okay, I'm out of here, and I've avoided something. And there's other times when Scripture has warned me, and I said, nope, I kept going. Friends have warned me, nope. People, pastors have warned me, nope, and it leads to shame. Um, so heed this warning. Let's heed this warning about being good stewards. And he says, ten thousand instructors. So ten thousand—that's a lot. So you got a lot of teachers. Uh, But stewardship of your spiritual instruction. You know, today we have radio, internet, you know, church hop. You can go to a bunch. You can go to church every different day, um, TV. But do you have a real-life pastor? Is there someone who is in real life in front of you at a church who you consider your pastor? I'm not saying me. For me, it's Pastor Owen. You know, he's the guy that, like, when I got saved, he was my pastor. He's still my pastor. He'll, I'll always consider him my pastor uh, until the day he dies, until the day I die. You know, on earth, this is the guy who, like, spiritually, like, you know, instructed me. Um, but do you have a real life discipler that may not be your pastor? Who, I mean, we look on at our pastor sometimes. We look, oh, how are they dressing, and what are they doing, and how's their life, and it gives us some sort of instruction. Uh, but maybe we don't have a personal relationship with our pastor just because it's not practical. But do we have a disciple or do we have someone in our life who maybe is a pastor or maybe isn't? Maybe they're, they're a little bit older in the Lord than us who can uh, speak into our lives, who can encourage us in the word, help us grow, and also keep us accountable. Uh, because, you know, I don't know you. The other pastors may not know you. You know, we're not intimately involved in your life. But someone else who knows the Lord might be. And if there's not, there should be. And I don't mean they need control of your life, but just someone that can really help you grow. Um, maybe it's your spouse. Uh, But do you have um, someone who holds you accountable? You know, even beyond a discipler, but friends in the Lord. Friends who you you hang out with. I'm not saying all your friends need to be Christians. That's not really necessarily healthy either all the time. But who are your closest friends? The ones that you seek advice from should be believers. You probably shouldn't seek spiritual advice from Buddhists. In fact, I know you shouldn't. I mean, maybe they're a good, like, car mechanic, and you go, hey, Buddha lover, how do I fix my tire? And they'll teach you. That's fine. You know, you know, Buddhists need Christian friends, too. But um, but who's going who's gonna to speak in your life about spiritual matters? But God has one for you. It may be all one person. It may be a bunch of different people for all these roles, but God has these people for you. But they should be one who is faithful. Faithful. They need to be faithful to the Lord. Their life needs to match up to what they're saying. Um, they don't need to be perfect, remember, but they need to be honest. Um, they remind you of Scripture. So when you're going through something, they're not going to say, hey, Oprah says. They're going to say, hey... Uh, Jeremiah says or hey you know remember what Jesus said or remember what Jesus did or you know have you prayed about it you know they're going to point you to God they're not going to expect you to pay them a hundred dollars every week for counsel and then you're dependent on them every week because you never get a real answer you just get to pour out your heart to this person but Owen always points you to God and he points me to God and I love that anytime I've gone to Owen for advice or even like he's had to say hard things to me it's always like what is God saying what is God saying to you have you prayed about it let me pray for you you know, a lot of times he doesn't say anything. He just says, okay, what is God saying? And it's like, I just want some answers. And he's like, you know, that's it. And that's how I know I can trust him. But he says everywhere in every church, you know, true Christianity should be the same everywhere. These principles should be the same everywhere. Stewardship should be the same everywhere in Christianity. When it is not, it's because it's tied up in something else. It's because it's tied up in a man or uh, an ideology or something that's not quite scriptural let's go on, and we'll finish this up in a couple minutes here. 19. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will, uh, and I will, I'm sorry, and I will know, not uh, the word, I'm sorry, I lost my place there, forgive me. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, and a spirit of gentleness? You know, he says, um, love builds up. First uh, Corinthians 8 1 says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. A lot of times people have scriptural knowledge, and it'll, it'll puff us up, and we'll think, oh, I know all the answers, and you don't, and how come you don't know them yet? Oh, no, you haven't read that yet? Don't you know, brother, that this verse says this? And It's very, like, unloving. Now, that's not to say that we do need to speak harsh things sometimes to people in a, in a love, like, don't you know the Bible says this, and, and you, you shouldn't be living like this because we love them. But it shouldn't be a point where, where we think we're better than them or that, that there's no hope for them. Um, but love does. When we, when we hear the scripture and it's applied in our life, um, you know, it creates love. God is love, so if we're reading his word, it's not going to cause us to kill each other. If we're truly spending time with the Lord, it's going to cause us to love each other. Um, you know, because Christianity isn't just words, it is life. But Paul says at the end here, he says, what do you want? What do you want? And in the light of stewardship, I think that means that stewardship is a choice. Stewardship is a choice. You know, we can either be good stewards or bad stewards. You know, Jesus said that, I wish you were hot or cold, you know. Not lukewarm, warm, because if you're cold, I get you saved. If you're hot, then that's great. But if you're kind of on the fence... You know, you might as well be a bad steward. You know, you might as well just go all out and go nuts because it's just not a good place. But it's up to us. You know, do we want rewards and praise from God? Do well. Do we want praise from men? Do we seek what men uh, think of us or women? Um, do well for God, and the right people will accept you. If we serve God, if we follow God... Um, The right people are going to accept this. I remember uh, some guys came over last night. We we were in uh, Hebrews 10, and it talks about, like, there's this one verse that God gave me earlier on when I got saved, talking and it kind of, like, alludes to... uh, Let me go to it. So it's uh, 1032. It says, But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, um, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. And the first part of that, God really gave to me early on because when I got saved, it was like, honestly, it was this radical thing. Like drugs, drinking, sex, language, all this stuff came out of my life. There was still plenty of other garbage and there's still this stuff that, that God needs to work out. But it was like God just took all this stuff away, and I was still hanging out with the same friends, and so I'd still want to hang out with them because they were my friends and I cared about them, and then I'd start telling them about Jesus, and they wouldn't want to hear it. And they would go, "How come you know you're not coming out with us tonight?" Well, I'll come out with you till here, but I really got to go home at around midnight because I got church in the morning. And they're like, "What?" Or like, "Don't you want to drink?" No, you know I don't need to drink anymore. You know I know God now, or I you know I don't need that anymore. And they go, "What?" And I'd be like, "I want to. Ha- I'll hang out though." You know, I just don't need a drink. And they just, you know, they wouldn't like me. Um, and then I started, as I was coming to Calvary, uh, there was other people it, like Pastor John, you know, uh, Pastor Billy, uh, Vin, Nick, all these other guys who, uh, were young guys in the church at the time who were following the Lord. I started hanging out with them, started going to their house for Bible studies. And it was like I was hanging out with my friends in the world and hanging out with my friends in the church. And I wanted my friends in the world to know God, but they didn't want anything to do with him. And so I started hanging out more and more with the friends who knew about God because I knew that's what I needed. And I knew that that's what my life needed because my life was royally screwed up. And, uh, and so as I became friends with these people, it was, it was good. And this, uh, I don't even remember where we're going with this, but, you know, I don't even know where we're going, but we're going with it. Um, it was good because it now it, it showed me what real Christianity was like because growing up around here, I went to church as a kid, but I didn't really know what church was or what real Christianity was. I thought it was church Sunday and Wednesday or just Sunday or you know, we had some good friends, the Bucci's, who uh, we'd go over to their house and they were always, you know, very jolly and a good time and um, you know, there's always something different about them that I didn't quite, you know, understand as a kid. But then coming here and hanging out with these like people invite me over after church or come over Thursday or whatever for a Bible study and I go down in their basement and they got like the C D player blasted and everyone's raising their hands and worshipping and the windows are open and it's like eighty degrees down there but we're having a blast. I'm like, this is fantastic. This is way better than what I used to do with my old friends. And this high is, is much better. And, you know, that's, I forget where we're going with this. You know, what do we want? You know, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you want to come up? Um, what do we want? Do we want the life that God has for us, or do we want the life that we've created for ourselves? And I think sometimes that's really all it is is a choice. It says, God says, I've got this for you but you want this other thing or this other thing is being offered to you, what are you going to choose? And a lot of that comes down to stewardship. Sometimes God will ask us to do something for the church or spiritually spend time with him and, like, something's on TV or, you know, someone's asking you to hang out, although you know you should probably go to church even though it's a Wednesday night and it's the first nice night, you know. Um, But what do we want? Do we want praise from God or do we want praise from men? And that's the thing. It's like this is where it is. We're getting there. That the right people will accept you. Because the friends who accepted me have been the right people in my life to this day. I'm still friends with all those guys I was friends with in the beginning. They're still all walking with the Lord. They're still all following God, and it's encouraged my walk so much. And they're the only ones like in the hard times that have really stuck with me. You know, these other people didn't want anything to do with me because I didn't drink anymore. That's kind of stupid. You know, I could have been their ride home, but you know, it's like this difference. They didn't accept me anymore when I went after the things God did, and the people that I didn't really care about in the beginning became my best friends because I sought God and he gave me what was right. And that's, this isn't a special case, you know. It's crazy that I'm up here. And it's crazy that you guys are here because God's done something in each and every one of our lives to bring us to this spot right now. And that's because he's got a plan for you. You know, I think sometimes we think church is, oh, it's a movie or it's an entertainment or it's a Sunday and Wednesday thing, but it's not. You know, it's a gathering together of believers and those who God is reaching out to. And he's reached out to everybody, but we've just listened for one reason or another. And he wants you to be a good steward. He wants me to be a good steward because on that day, on that day, on that time when Jesus comes back and we stand before him, he doesn't want to cast us off. He doesn't want us to to be tormented because of the bad choices we made. He wants us to receive blessing and time with him in heaven because of the the choice he made to come to us. And I know we've heard that a, a million times, but it's true. And part of that is... What are we going to do now that we're safe? What are we going to do with our salvation, with the people God's brought in our lives, and with the opportunities God's given us to serve Him? God bless you. Uh, final question: Are we, are you, a good steward? We should probably take honest look at our lives and go, man, like, you know, uh, it was really hard going studying through this because it's like as you go through it, you go, oh man, like uh, my life isn't, you know, I could kind of like was taking stock of my own life through it. And seeing, like, wow, okay, well, this is here, and this is here, and this is here. It's like, okay, it could all use improvement, honestly. But are we a good steward? You know, if Jesus were to come back right now, and I know we've all heard this a thousand times, but, you know, would we feel comfortable, or would we be like, oh, man, let me go home first and burn that thing. You know, let me go out to the car and, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it is that you know right now, you know, maybe there's nothing, or maybe it's just, man, I just need to spend more time with God, whatever it is. Are you a good steward? Are you a good steward? So let's pray. Father, um, it's so cool that we can call you Dad, and I'm uh, so glad that you do and that you love us and that you want us to come to you as we are because you know we can't do anything about our condition. And Lord, I pray that you would just wash over us. You'd forgive us of uh, where we've fallen short and that God, you'd help us to to live up to the, to the life that you've given us. And uh, really just this Give us that joy of your salvation, God, that it wouldn't be works, but it would just be your spirit, and you'd fill us and encourage us. And I pray just for everything that uh, was said tonight, God. I pray that what you wanted to be heard and all of us would stick, and that, God, you'd help us to, to really serve you well and serve you right from the heart, and not to please man, but to please you. And uh, God, I pray that everyone here would just be blessed tonight, and uh, just really that they would, we all would, God, be ready on that day when you return, because I know it's going to be soon, Lord. I don't know when, but God, how could it be much longer? And even if it is, God, we still want to be faithful. So thank you for your grace and uh, your word. In Jesus' name, amen.